0: hey guys good morning i'm Aliyah. i'm a pastor here at park hill and um, my husband is also the executive pastor here his name is matt if you don't know him you're missing out go find him he's the best um, we have two kids max and jude and if you've met them um, you're welcome they're super great i love them <laughs> um, we moved down to san diego um, from the portland area about three years ago and honestly, this was an answer to a lot of years of prayer. Um, our heart was here. And um, it's been an absolute joy to be a part of what God's doing here in San Diego and specifically in Park Hill. And honestly, just doing life with you guys, it's, been, it's, it's really exceeded our expectations. Um, God's, God's really kind. Um, actually, my thankfulness just for, for Park Hill and what God is doing is why I'm so excited about um, the text that we're in today. Um, Paul is genuinely so thankful for the church, and this is a theme throughout Paul's letters to the early church, and when I read these incredible verses, honestly, I know the feeling. Um, When I was young, I had leaders that prayed just these verses that Paul wrote of thankfulness over me, and now I get to pray them over you guys, so I just feel very connected to how Paul feels. Um, This is week three of our first Corinthian series. And up until this point, we've made it through two verses. So um, today we're gonna get a little crazy and we're gonna do seven verses. I know, it's kind of wild. Um, actually, from here on out, we're gonna be taking on some bigger chunks and picking up speed. Um, but these first two weeks were really important. Evan walked us through um, the history of Paul in the church And we really started to see the foundation being poured um, that this whole book will be built off of. is really important. So if you missed the last two weeks, go back, listen to the podcast. It's important. Um, But a quick recap, because it's going to help us um, with what we're talking about today. After Paul was converted to following Jesus Messiah, he didn't immediately launch into this incredible biblical author, apostle, church planter. He actually spent years reforming his mind um, around the gospel and what Jesus had done. And he he did that in community. So that's a huge encouragement to us um, because there are seasons for us when we know what we're called to in the future. But the most difficult part of a calling is being faithful and submitted to equipping yourself in what feels like waiting. Um, But the faithful waiting is also part of the calling that God places on our lives. In hindsight, honestly, some of the most forming years for me and my husband, Matt, um, were the years we spent praying towards what we felt called to, which was to plant a church in San Diego that helped plant other churches. Um, And uh, these years were spent honestly sleep deprived, changing diapers and just being with our family. They really felt like waiting. Um, But in that time, we were also diving deeply into the Bible and just listening to podcasts and um, taking Bible classes on iTunes University and um, we were just committed to our local church and doing life with our community. And now looking back on those years, I can see clearly the work that what God was doing in us during that season of waiting. Those years were absolutely what we were called to, and, and they really like paved the way for what God had for us now. So if you're in a season of waiting, whatever you're waiting for, be faithful and trust that God's going to provide for what he's called you to. Um, work out your calling with your community. Bring them into what you feel called to. Have them pray for you and speak into the gifts that they see in you. Also, have them speak into the areas when um, you know, you're know you not gifted. They can go, hey, uh, yeah, you think you're good at that, but uh, you're kind of not. That's just as important. Um, but there's really nothing like actively discerning your calling in community. This has been so true for me. Um, These people that love you, and they know you, and they love the Lord, and they can speak into you what they see. It's important. So this applies to all of us as followers of Jesus. No matter what you're called to, if it's making coffee or if it's being a parent, whatever your vocation is, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be his apprentice, and we have callings within those specific things we're doing. Um, Yeah, so that brings us to today. We get to continue looking at the foundation that Paul's laying for the rest of this letter. So Paul was called by God, and he wrote a letter to a little church that was also called by God to live like the family of Jesus in their city. This is who we're called to be, Park Hill. So let's receive this letter as God's word that shapes our hearts. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, we are so grateful that your truth is unchanging. We're so grateful that we get to to read a letter written to someone else in a different country and a different culture, and because of who you are, it applies to us so well. Lord, thank you for speaking. Would you speak today? God, would you encourage us with what you've you've already done and would you encourage us with what you're doing? Amen. So if you, um, I think you've already turned to 1 Corinthians 1, that's where we're going to be, and I'm just going to read the whole chunk that we're going to take on today. So Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, baby name for all of you who are pregnant, to the church of Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know how you cannot be encouraged by that. Um, So I think my work here is done. I'm just kidding. Settle in. I'm going to stay a while. So if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, you know that Paul has some fairly heavy issues to address in the upcoming chapters. Um, So why does he open with encouragement? I don't know about you, but when I have um, some business to take care of with a good friend who I love, I want to get to that first, and then I want to move on to encouragement. But that's not what Paul does. He opens with this beautiful call. Um, Maybe he's just trying to soften the blow, just buffering um, before he puts down the hammer. No, not what he's doing either. Paul is starting with encouragement to remind the church about their identity in Christ. Everything Paul will be addressing for the next 16 chapters is in this context of love. This is so on purpose that he starts out with this encouragement and love. This is a call for the church to have their identity rooted in Jesus, to live a life formed by the gospel, the good news. I'm going to say it again because this is for us. We are called to have an identity rooted in Jesus to live a life formed by the gospel. We're going to spend um, just a little bit of time walking through the example Paul wants us to imitate here in these seven verses, uh, starting with verse 3. So, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The common secular saying in Corinth at that time um, was peace and health, which Paul chooses to say instead, grace and peace, to address the church in a countercultural way. Even his greeting is Christ centered and calling them back to what their identity is. Grace is something that can't be earned. This is our definition of grace. God's unmerited acceptance, freely given for the sake of relationship and for enablement to serve him and others. So I'll read it again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you, more days than um, I'd like to admit, I read these introduction verses, and I'm tired, and it's first thing in the morning, and um, honestly, I'm left unchanged because I just cruise over them into the important parts, and I don't slow down. But God breathed these words as a call, a reminder of what he means for us to center our days around, and that is grace and peace and himself. So what better time to practice slowing down and letting these words wash over us than right now? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you want to open your hands, take a deep breath, think about your week, the good things and the tough things and the things you haven't asked God to come and bring grace and peace into yet. And I'm just going to speak these words over you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to move on to verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Here it is. It's easy to miss, but this is imperative for us today. We live in a culture of contempt, politically, socially, spiritually, the list goes on. None of these issues are small, and none of them are simple. The Corinthians were right where we are. I wouldn't be shocked to find out that Paul was at least kind of annoyed by the Corinthian church. Um, He went and he plants this incredible church, and lives are transformed, and... um, They're giving up their destructive practices of their pagan culture, and then he hears that they're returning to their old ways. People who claim to follow Jesus are no longer following Jesus. Paul is seeing brokenness and failure in the body of Christ, just like we do today. It's not hard to find. But Paul starts with with what is true of them, and this is vitally important for any resolution in upcoming issues. He displays the posture we're called to have towards all of our brothers and sisters and neighbors and even ourselves. And here's what it is. He prays for them. He thanks God for them. This is hard to do when you have an issue with someone, but this is what we are called to do. Thank God for them. And the reason we can do that is because we thank God that he has given them grace in Jesus. We get to look at each other despite everything that's going on, the issues and stuff, and we get to say, I'm thanking God for you because you have been given grace in Jesus. You see, this practice is as much for us as it is for the person we're praying for. This is proclaiming over others the same grace we ourselves have received. And this wasn't just Paul. We do this because Jesus modeled this for us too. Let's look back at Jesus for a minute. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus, Jesus said these words right after he washed the disciples' feet and just hours before he was betrayed. Jesus could have chosen anything to talk about, but he wanted to show them how to serve one another and how to love one another. Jesus shows us that we're not called only to our own flourishing, but we're called to deeply invest in one another's flourishing. This is the kind of community we're called to be. This is one of the main ways we're called to be set apart, that the world would know us by our love for one another. It's so easy to try and come up with the perfect argument to show someone why they're wrong, but Paul knows. That transformation can only take place when Jesus is at the center. So we pray. We're called to choose to be thankful for one another. This process is going to not only change the hearts of those we pray for, but it's going to change us too. So verses 5 and 7. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. You eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. There's so much here for us. The citizens of Corinth were known for being arrogant and considered themselves superior because they lived in the capital of Achaia. They were celebrity obsessed culture. You might say they kind of lived in the urban core. They were defined by their wealth and consumed by their image. They saw themselves as the most woke, and this culture was seeping into the church. This doesn't sound very different from our churches today, but Paul is calling the church back to set apart their identity, not just united with their city church, but with the global church. We are called to be the church outside of the walls of Park Hill, we are called to unite with other churches. And that's what Paul is reminding them. Um, Paul is bringing back into focus their view of success, which is being rooted in Jesus. In him, you have been enriched in every way, not by your nice stuff, but in what is unseen and eternal. In him, you have all speech and knowledge, not the culture's definition of knowledge, but the wisdom that's come from Jesus. In him, you lack nothing. In him, you are set apart and given identity of Christ, not better than anyone else, but precious in his sight because you're being made new. This is who we are, this is our identity. And we live confidently as God's children, then we become heaven's outposts of hope on Earth. And we realize that this identity is a now and not yet reality. We are already God's children now. At the same time, we've not fully arrived yet. This is the tension we live in, the now and not yet. Jesus talks about this tension all the time. Here's what he has to say in Luke's Gospel. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's kind of cheeky sometimes. So if you don't catch it, Jesus was talking about himself. The kingdom of God came with Jesus. And we're caught in this in-between where Jesus is revealed, and we have access to the Father, and we've been given the Spirit, and we're free from our sin, and we're called to be image-bearers of God on earth as it is in heaven. But juxtaposed to that, there's this heartbreaking injustice, and there's sickness, and there's natural disasters. So how do we live in hope? How do we live in the now and not yet? Um... I had the absolute privilege of growing up in a home with parents who who loved Jesus. They were wonderful. And I'll honestly say um, that one of the biggest blessings of my life um, is because of them. I I can't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus. So when I was 13, one day I was brushing my teeth and I hit the ground. Um, I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. Everything felt numb but hurt at the same time. My thoughts were fully coherent, but all I could do was lay there. That was it. My parents found me and they rushed me to the hospital and that lasted about an hour. And then for a few more hours after that, I couldn't form like complete sentences. Nothing made sense and I didn't have any fine motor skills. So um, from that day forward, that would happen almost every week, sometimes more for three years. And I spent that whole summer as a 13-year-old visiting every doctor, being in and out of the hospital, having every test imaginable done. Um, Some of the doctors said I was having seizures, some said episodes, and and whatever that means. But most agreed, it looked like multiple sclerosis. Um, But the MRI showed that that wasn't it, and um, I was way too young to have that. I'll never forget the doctor calling with the good news that I didn't have multiple sclerosis. And, and I, should have, I should have felt excited, but just this wave of doom rushed over me. Um, because while the diagnosis was elusive, um, my health issues were not. So the only, the only option I had was to wait and see what happened. I was just stuck. Um, so I remember coming home at the end of the day, um, at the end of the summer, after a sleep deprivation test and an EEG, and feeling absolutely hopeless. And I prayed, and I remember saying, God, I know that I gave you my life, but this, this wasn't what I had in mind, so you're gonna have to be really near. Um, and then I just opened my Bible, and I pointed to a spot on the page, not the way you're normally supposed to read the Bible, but I was 13, here we are. And, and God gave me this verse. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For me, this was the promise of the future kingdom refusing to be contained to the not yet. God met me in that moment, and, and through His Word, He gave me that palpable hope that really only He can in those dark moments. I can honestly say that over those three years of being sick, um, God was so near. When, when I was only able to lay still and be silent, Heaven felt close, and I had joy. Don't get me wrong, I struggled and constantly had to invite the Spirit into difficult moments. Um, When someone would ask where I wanted to go to college or if I wanted to get married or have kids, um, those those felt like non-options for me, and that was tough. But over and over again, in those moments, God showed up. I spent time in God's Word daily. I prayed constantly, and I was absolutely dependent on God. God does not say that this fallen world will be easy, but he is near to the brokenhearted. And because of Jesus, we have the promise to be raised with Christ. Here's something I want to ask you to do. If you're in a tough season, really if you're in any season, but if you're in a tough season, um, read God's word. The Bible is the living word of God, and if you feel he is silent, but you're not checking the mail and opening the letters he sent to you, um, do it. You won't be disappointed. His word doesn't return void. God did not speak audibly to me when I was um, when I was sick when I was 13. He didn't send me a personal messenger angel, but He did give me 2nd Corinthians and so many other verses, um, and it came with thousands of years of weight. These verses have encouraged saints for thousands of years, and for me that was that was so comforting. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to be aware of the Holy Spirit all the time. We're called to invite him into each part of our day. In our mornings, in our friendships, in our emotions, in our small decisions, in our driving. I'm still working on that one. Holy Spirit, come. Um, I'm happy to say after those three tough years, God healed me, which honestly is a whole nother story of God's faithfulness, but today we'll just keep it simple. turns out I had severe back problems that was affecting my nervous system. Here's the wild thing. Although I'm so glad that I was healed, I can honestly 100% say I'm so grateful for those years where God's kingdom felt near. It shaped me as a human in ways that only God can, and that is the hope that Paul is talking about. To be honest, right now, this week, I'm, I'm walking a tough road with a few people that I love dearly, um, that are facing incredibly difficult health issues. Preparing for this teaching this week, God met me once again in these difficult places and spoke so much life and encouragement to me that I got to share with these people. Park Hill, this is our job to be fully aware of the now and not yet, and to stand in the gap until Jesus returns. It is our job to encourage one another in this very real hope we're called to. It's our job to be set apart so that the world knows there's more than this present suffering. That takes us to our last two verses. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I can't think of anything that illuminates Scripture better than Scripture, so let's take a look at Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You guys, this should rock us to our core. We have a Savior who was the only one Who's been sinless, even though he's been tempted in every way? He's the only person in history who's ever been spotless before God, and he's the one who took on all of our sin. This must change our heart posture. Romans 2 4 says, Or do you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. His kindness leads us to repentance. This is not meant to be taken for granted. When you experience the grace and kindness of God, it has to lead to us to reforming everything about who we are. Just like when Paul was met by Jesus and converted on the road to Damascus. When we're, my, when we're met by Jesus, we're called to change. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. Repentance is not an emotion. It's not a feeling sorry for your sins. It's a decision. Repentance is a realization that God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of of peace. This is what living in relationship with God looks like. It's responding to what he's already done. Romans, Romans says it well. When, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You guys, every week when we come and we take communion together, this is what we remember. We've been brought into his death and his resurrection. This is the promise of the not yet happening now. The foundation Paul is laying is one of genuine encouragement. Not because the church is doing everything perfectly, but because of who Jesus is. This is what we've been invited into in his death and resurrection. This is not a flippant encouragement. These words came with the weight of Jesus bearing our sin on the cross. The God of humanity laying down his life and fulfilling his covenant with us when we didn't hold up our end of the deal. He's made a way and encouragement isn't meant to stand alone. Paul goes on to address everything that the church needs to give up and change, but this is the foundation of a redeemed identity in Christ. Something beautiful happens in this balance. It's a theme all throughout the scriptures. Truth and grace, justice and mercy, faith and works. These are all meant to be together, and that is the hope of the now and not yet. Throughout 1 Corinthians, we can make the mistake of focusing on this checklist of things we need to work out. Marriage and divorce, lawsuits, what to eat, what leader to follow. The list goes on. Don't get me wrong. These things matter. They need to be worked out. But but Paul is continually calling the church and training them to reform their minds into thinking how um, N.T. Wright puts it, resurrectionally. Paul's main goal is to get the church to understand what it means that Jesus was raised from the dead. And now because Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead. The long-awaited end has actually burst out into the present time and is shaping every part of the way that we live now. This is how I felt when I was sick for those few years. It's like God being the good father that he is saw me in pain and was like, I know it's December 12th, but I'm just gonna give you part of your gift now. I can't wait. And if our identity is truly rooted in Jesus, then all the other issues will fall into place. This is what Paul knows, and this is what he's reminding the church of all throughout this ancient letter. This is why Paul can open with so much love and encouragement because you see, Paul knows that the power of living in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. God has taken Paul's past life, the thing he should be the most ashamed of, killing Christians. And he's redeemed it beyond imagination. I can't help but see what Paul is saying. What God has done in me, he is going to do in you. There is no sin too big. There is no shame too deep. There's no pain too great for God. Our Heavenly Father wants to meet us in those places and redeem. You see, the hope that Jesus has done promises the hope in those areas in our lives that feel hopeless. You get to participate by inviting him into those places. And we're called to proclaim this regularly over one another. We're called to encourage one another just as Paul did. So, if you're in a space that feels hopeless and you need encouragement, there are people um, after communion who would be so blessed to pray with you and stand in that gap between the now and not yet. If you feel good and you're confident and you're excited about what Jesus is doing in your life, you're called to encourage. You are supposed to be the one to stand in that gap. Bring that grace and peace on earth as it is in heaven to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you need to be met by Jesus and called to a new life, this is the time. If you don't know the hope of the future, if you don't know the hope of what Jesus has done, he would love to meet you in that place and give it to you. But no matter where you're at, God has and will continue to call you to an identity rooted in hope because of Jesus as his love child. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that you give us a new identity. We're thankful for who you are and what you have done. God, we're thankful for encouragement. Lord, we're thankful to be called out on things that are not healthy and do not reflect your image. Lord, would your spirit move Would you root us deeply in your identity, and would you give us the hope that only you can give? Amen. Thank you so much.